This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Austin Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perim. Eric Scopel is with me as always talking Oregon Duck football, Oregon Duck football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting. We've got it all. Before we dive into today's show, which is going to be a heavy focus on Oregon football recruiting for the class of 2021, we're going to kind of go through each position group and look at some needs that Oregon needs to address in this recruiting class. But before we dive in, I want to remind you guys out there, if you are not subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, please consider doing so if you can afford it. Uh, it's as low as $1 for your first month and then $9.95 thereafter, or you could get an annual membership and pay up upfront a one-time payment of $75.18. That's over a $3 per month savings compared to the month-to-month plan. You get inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. So you're not just subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. You're subscribing to us and supporting us, and at the same time, being able to read what the USC site is reporting, being able to read what the Washington site is reporting, or the Alabama or the Ohio State, uh, or the Hawaii site is reporting. And, yes, we have sites almost of every football team out there uh, at the college Division One level. We have a site for that. So tons of value. And on top of that, once you're paying your regular price, you get CBS All Access for free. So can't beat that. All right, Eric, let's dive into now this recruiting class for Oregon right now. You, you look at it and – the last couple of seasons under Mario Cristobal, the Ducks have signed the best class in school history. And then the year before that, they finished 12th in the country, you know, just a couple points away from being in, inside the top 10. Right now, they're currently 19th in the country. They have five verbal commitments. Four of those guys are ranked as four-star prospects. Jackson Light is the one player who's a three-star. He plays center. And typically, look, they're, you're not going to find a lot of three uh, centers that are five stars. You're not going to find a lot of centers that are high four-star guys. It's just one of those positions where it's, if you're a true center, uh, it's hard to, you know, skyrocket up the rankings. He's probably a little underrated, uh, but look, the way I look at it, you're really splitting hairs here in terms of his ranking and, and whatnot. But Oregon has five verbal commitments. They're inside the top 20. And the thing that I like the most, though, about, Oregon's recruiting class right now is the quality that they have at each of of their five commitments because their score right now is a 93.46 per each recruit. And if you look at the teams that are, I'm going to say eighth, who is Wisconsin, and you drop all the way down to Oregon, there's only one team who has a better average per recruit score than the Ducks, and that's Texas, who has six verbal commitments and a a score of 94.14. Everybody else from eighth in the country at Wisconsin all the way down to Oregon at 19th, 
there's only one team that's that's doing a better job of landing quality commitments than the Ducks. And right now, some of these teams that are that are higher up against uh, than, than Oregon, they're high because they have so many verbal commitments at this at this time. Wisconsin is eighth in the country with ten verbal commitments. Seven of, the, of those guys are three stars. Minnesota is eleventh in the country or is ninth in the country. They have eleven verbal commitments. Seven are three stars. Miami has ten. Six of those guys are three-star players. Maryland is twelfth. They have eight three-star players. Rutgers is fourteenth. They have ten. Oregon has one and just four other verbal commitments. So they're they're positioned for a good run up the rankings. Yeah, and I guess one question I have for you, Matt, is in terms of the momentum of this cycle, it feels like it's been kind of funky because they landed quite a few verbal commitments kind of last. I guess from October through Christmas time of 2019, there's a couple of changes in the coaching staff. They see a couple of decommitments. Uh, obviously, they pick up the big commitment from Ty Thompson at quarterback, um, but no commitment since then. What do you feel like the momentum is with this class right now? Does it feel like it's stagnant, or is that just a byproduct of what what is admittedly some unusual and probably uh, circumstances that certainly don't help recruiting? Yeah, I, I think um, there's certainly – some feelings of it slowed down a little bit. And I, and I think what's going on around the world is probably the main factor for that. But, you know, the, the last guy that's currently committed to Oregon that gave a verbal commitment came just uh, over a little over a month ago. That was Ty Thompson. And then before that, um, they had a couple guys commit, but they've, you know, since backed off the, those verbal commitments, um, Josh Simmons being one of them, uh, he verbally committed to the Ducks. I want to say in March, early March, or maybe February, maybe. February um, late February when he did it. And then March 31st, he decommitted. Uh, and then Anthony Beavers, he decommitted from Oregon in, in February after being committed to the Ducks for about a year. So, you know, they've had a couple guys already, you know, back off their verbal commitments, but I mean, you look, you eliminate Josh Simmons from the fold, and Oregon's previous most recent commitment is Keon Ware Hudson, who committed to the Ducks on December 15th of 2019. So it's been a hot minute since they've landed, you know, some string of commitments. And I'm sure that's partially the reason why. Um, Oregon also is in a, in a weird position where like, there aren't very many positions out there in this class that I feel like they're saying we need to sign four or five guys. So like each spot's kind of got some limited room. What 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 are spots where you go that there, there is a need for a handful of guys? Because I think you look through, and I was just looking at the roster for this upcoming twenty twenty season and the senior class, and kind of going like there it's aren't that. Yeah, it's not a very big class, and there aren't that many positions where there's, like, duplicate seniors. Like, you think about, obviously, there's no quarterbacks or running backs that are seniors. There's, like, one or two offensive linemen, but maybe none of them are going to be starters. There's a couple wide receivers, and I think that's probably a point of emphasis. But what are some spots to you that stand out that you go, man, Oregon really needs to address and use three or four, maybe even five scholarships on? I think receiver is the first one because let's look at it offensively at least. Receiver is probably the first one because you have Jalen Red and you have Johnny Johnson, two guys who are seniors on the team that that are basically starters. 
and Johnny Johnson for sure has been. Red's been in between, um, and he's going to be the starter going into the 2020 football season in the slot, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and so you lose those two guys, and I look at it and say, you know, Daywood Davis is a junior, and there's definitely been some rumblings, you know, over over his career of does he stay at Oregon or does he look to go somewhere else? And, you know, regardless of the fact now, he, he's a junior. And so you've only got him for two more years, one more year after this 2020 season. So you need to prepare to replace his spot in the depth chart. And, you know, you've already got – it's it's crazy, but you also have to consider what happens if Micah Pittman has the year that he's – you know, we all think he could have as a sophomore and then does it again, at, you know, in 2021, does he go pro? You know, so now you're at, you're looking at it as, well, you, you could potentially lose four, four guys at that position over the next two years. And well, what, about, what about even at Devin Williams? If Devin Williams has a great couple of seasons, he could go too. Right, and that's that's just what I was going to say. We haven't even discussed a, a Devin Williams or maybe a Brian Addison. So you kind of got to think two years down the road of what, what does your position look like after two years? Are you still are you still fine from a depth perspective? And so I think receiver is is probably offensively the most important position to address for Oregon, and, and we'll discuss kind of who they're targeting later. But I would look at that receiver spot and say this is a position where we've got a couple seniors. And then we've got a bunch of sophomores on the roster. And if, and if I'm Mario Cristobal, I'm saying to myself, we got to figure out a way to get in to the program, you know, three, four more receivers in, in, in this class, just because you lose red, you lose Johnson, two highly productive players. And then with, in, in the next two years, Delgado, Davis, Pittman, Devin Williams, Brian Addison, are all draft eligible or, or graduating. And, you know, there's a chance that one or, or two of those guys could go pro after two years. And I think the other reality is, is that you, you look at the roster and you, I'm trying to count here on the fly. I think you've got 10 scholarship wide receivers currently on the roster. It'll be 11 when Chris Hudson gets here. Some of these guys might have to take a real hard look about what their playing time and what the reality of their opportunity at Oregon looks like going forward. And I wouldn't be, and again, you don't want to be negative, but I wouldn't be shocked if you see a transfer out sure. of this group. Somebody like Isaiah Crocker would make some sense. Uh, he's been here for a couple of years. So it doesn't make it's panned out. Of course, you don't want to give up on a kid that quickly, uh, but his name came to mind first in terms of guys that would make sense for that. You mentioned David Davis and maybe even a Josh Delgado, who I think has a lot of upside, but uh, he, he remains somebody who, who there are quite a player, quite a few players on the roster he's kind of looking up on, uh, looking up at. So um, transfers could also impact, and that could be something maybe where you talk about three to four to five, maybe that number even grows a little bit more over the next six months with some players maybe looking elsewhere. Um, so I think that has to be considered too uh, when you're thinking about outgoing players. And then you also need to look at the tight end position offensively because Hunter Camp Moyer is a senior. Now it hasn't been updated yet, you know, and, and this helps significantly, but Cam McCormick is, is going to be a basically a sophomore going into the 2020 football season. So he'll have three years left of eligibility okay. counting this season. Um, part of me, though, doesn't think he'll use all three of those years. Like if, if he comes out this season and plays pretty good, plays a full season, and maybe finishes honorable mention or, you know, all conference, 
doesn't isn't first team, isn't second team, but gets nom you know gets gets a vote or two, and then as a junior has a really good season and is healthy for the second straight year. I have a hard time seeing him say, you know what, I'm going to come back for another season. Even though I've gone through multiple injuries, even though I'm getting up there in age from an NFL draft standpoint, I'm going to come back for a, a, a seventh year at Oregon. Um, I just don't see that happening. So I look at McCormick. And he's got three years available. I'm going to think he probably plays two of those. And that's just speculating. Uh, and yeah. it on my part, but I, I think you still need to go out and you need to find another tight end in this class. And that's probably another position where it's really important because McCormick's the best tight end of this group. Problem is he hasn't been healthy for two seasons. And can you count on him to be healthy this coming season? Spencer Webb is probably the most logical choice to be the guy that kind of emerges out of this group, but he was inconsistent last year. Hunter Campmoyer, I think, is a very good uh, blocker up front, but he's yeah. very limited in what he can bring you for um, a receiving perspective at tight end. And then Patrick Herbert uh, was redshirted last season. I know the coaching staff is extremely high on him, but if if he was going to be the guy this season, he would have played last year. Like he just, I, I, I feel strongly about that, especially with all the injuries that they had to deal with at the tight end position. And then DJ Johnson, you know, he moved to the, to the tight end position this spring. And, you know, I don't want to bag on the guy, but, it, you know, from what we saw, it wasn't like he was going to be a superstar right away. He, he needs some time to develop. I don't think there's a position group on the entire team that has more, like, short-term and long-term uncertainty than tight end. Like, I'm looking at it going, like, like you ran through, like, I don't really have a great feel for who's going to be the starter in 2020. I think... Like you, I probably think McCormick, Cantmoyer, and Webb are probably the three best candidates, and I'd probably lean McCormick. And then you look about the long-term future, maybe 2021 and beyond, and it's like McCormick might be on the team. He might not be. Are we sure DJ Johnson's going to be still at tight end? Uh, will maybe Spencer Webb or Patrick Herbert uh, really develop and DJ Johnson moves to a different spot, and you're looking at a completely different hierarchy. So I agree with you. I think tight end has to be a spot you address. and. Um, they didn't sign anybody in the 2020 class. Maybe they, what do you think about them taking two tight ends in 2021? Does that make sense? Does that move the needle for you? Or, or do you think it's a one, a one position kind of I spot? I think it's a one here? position unless they, they feel like, hey, DJ Johnson's not working out. Uh, Cam McCormick gets hurt again and we yeah. really wonder if, if he's going to be able to just play again. Um, you know, if, if something like that happens or if Patrick Herbert or Spencer Webb don't take a step up in development this season. Like I think what will happen is they'll try and get a tight end before the season starts. And then as the season plays out and they get data on the guys that have eligibility remaining, then they'll look at things and and readjust. And and maybe it's, no, we're really good. Like what happens like if McCormick is healthy and lives up to expectations, Spencer Webb takes that next step and Patrick Herbert shows up and is a dude again for Oregon uh, as a redshirt freshman, now all of a sudden you look at it and say, we're stacked. Like, the, there's no room to, to really add two tight ends. And, you know, the guy that we bring in in 2021 is going to redshirt. Like, that's what that, that's what the staff would be saying. So I, I think they'll try and get one before the year is over and then take the data that they have 
on the current guys that with eligibility over the long stretch of that season and adjust from there. And then really quickly, quarterback and running back, you already have highly, highly regarded verbal commitments there. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Matt, but it seems like it would take a very special player at either of those positions for Oregon to add another 2021 verbal commitment. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I look at quarterback for sure. I mean, Tyler Shuck, Jay Butterfield, Kale Millen, and then you Anthony, also have Anthony Brown, Bobby I guess. Ashford. <laughs> what? I said Anthony Brown, I guess, too, now. Yeah, but but he's he'll be gone regardless. Sure, so, like, sure. he's a yeah. senior. It doesn't really matter um, in terms of, like, next year's roster, 2021. Uh, Tyler Shuck will be still on the roster. Jay Butterfield will still be on the roster. Kale Millen will still be on the roster. And you also got Robbie Ashford, who will join the program as a freshman this this summer when he enrolls. So, and then you add in Ty Thompson, like there's only so much room. They're in a good position. I, I don't see them taking another quarterback unless it's like the number one quarterback in the country. And for whatever reason, he all of a sudden wants to come to Oregon. I think at running back, this might be a case where you try and find a second running back because of a couple reasons. Verdell, Dai, and Habi Lakio are all juniors in 2020, and I don't think any of those three transfer, but it wouldn't surprise me if Verdell goes, you know what, after the 2020 football season, I just had my third straight year of 1,000 yards on the ground, and I had my best year yet statistically. I'm going to go pro. And then all of a sudden, so now you lose your, your starting running back. Die and, and Cyrus are more than capable of, of being your starters in 2021. But both of them are seniors. And so in two years, you just lost your top three guys. And then you look at it and say, okay, well, there's Sean Dollars, there's Javon Wilson, and they also added Trey Benson. They have running back commit Seven McGee also in the fold for 2021. And you think, okay, you know, Four of those guys, that's that's a solid group. And I look at it, though, and say, how realistic – and Seven McGee has, has, what, been at, like, it feels like seven different high schools in three years. And it, it, That's not that far off, I don't think, sadly. No, it's not. It, it, it's kind of like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. And he's transferred a ton of times. And every time you transfer in high school – look, I'm not going to try and say that – He's an, he is an academic risk and he doesn't have good grades. But every time you transfer high schools, that hurts your chances of getting into school because everything doesn't cleanly trans over, transfer over academically from courses and grades. And, you know, this school has a different requirement than this school and this class doesn't, you know, qualify for this state and whatnot. And so not only has he been transferring between cities, he's been transferring between states and he's been doing it a bunch. And so if I'm Oregon, I go out and I find another running back in the 2021 recruiting class. And if Seven McGee gets in and you, you, you've got two running backs and it'll sort itself out, but you need to find some kind of an assurance. I think should something happen with all of these transfers and the transcripts and whatnot, it's just, there's a lot of tape now on McGee to have to, you know, get through. And if, if something happens there, you've got something in place. Uh, to help you at that running back spot to have four running backs in two years. What about the offensive line, Matt? Um, I mentioned it earlier. Obviously, you say that Jackson Light 
already a verbal commitment there. They had Simmons committed. He decommitted. You look at the roster, uh, the only outgoing players after 2020 for sure will be Sam Putasi. And then I guess you can throw George Moore into that conversation, although we're still waiting word if he's going to be able to play this year or not. So that scholarship might already be voided. Um, but there are a ton of juniors. And you look at it, you got Malasala, Amabe Laulu, you've got Alex Forsyth, you've got TJ Bass, you've got Penny Sewell, who's probably almost assuredly not going to be on the roster in 2021. To take him being very charitable with his time to, to maybe come back as a senior, I would think. But do you look at the offensive line and say they get to three, that's a good number, or do you think you want to see them maybe add four or five this class? Yeah, I, I think Cristobal's shown that in the last you know two or three years of, of him being – in charge of recruiting at Oregon, um, Oregon's going to sign offensive linemen, and they're going to they're going to sign a good amount every year. In 2018, they signed five guys to the offensive line in that class. 2019, they signed three offensive linemen, and then in 2020, they signed five again. So it's kind of you know on again, off again. Um, I'm looking at the 2021 class and they have zero offense. They have one offensive line commit, excuse me. And I, I think, I think they go out and they try and land probably three more guys at that position to try and bolster the group in case the departures happen. Yeah, and you look at the caliber of recruit, which we'll get to after the break on the offensive line, and there's, I think, upside to, to bring in some really talented players, and, and I'm sure that'll also go into some of the deciding factors about how many scholarships they want to use with that group. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Sculpel is with me as always. And we spent the first half of the show kind of discussing the offensive needs for Oregon in 2021 from a recruiting perspective. Now, let's dive into some discussion of just what guys could Oregon realistically land to fill some of these needs across the board on the offensive side of the football. I, I think – Eric, we talked briefly about quarterback and running back. Oregon already has verbal commitments at both. Ty Thompson at quarterback. He's the eighth best pro-style quarterback in the country. And then they also have Seven McGee, who is the seventh best running back in the country, a top 90 player regardless of position. I think the name – there's two names to watch at, at running back. I think they're pretty much done at quarterback. Uh, like I said, unless, you know, all of a sudden, uh, a Caleb Williams, who's the five-star, number five player in the country overall, says, hey, I want to come to Oregon. Like, they, they were a player for him, but highly unlikely that happens. I, I think there's two guys at running back that Oregon probably continues to keep in contact with, continues to recruit, just in case they feel like they need to add a second running back to this class, or maybe Seven McGee decommits and, and I'm not trying to say he's, he's considering that, but just to kind of, you know, keep yourself safe and protected. I think there's two names, one of which is Demir Collins. He is the second best all purpose back running back in the country. And he actually plays at Jefferson High School in Portland. 
Now, the caveat with Demir Collins is that Oregon has, this offseason has added um, Don Johnson to the recruiting department, and Don Johnson was Demir Collins' high school coach at Jefferson this past fall. And there's a rule in the NCAA rulebook that says if you hire a high school football coach of a prospect that you are recruiting, that coach has to be an on-field coach for you to be able to sign him unless you get cleared of a waiver. And Don Johnson is not an on-field coach. Oregon will probably file a waiver to continue to recruit uh, Demir Collins. So I think that's one name. Oregon feels confident they can get that waiver approved. Uh, they feel like they've got some evidence to suggest, you know, that they sh- should have it approved. And if that waiver does get approved, I, I think Collins goes to Oregon and I think it's the most win-win situation between the two. And then the other guy out there is Prophet Brown from Monterey Trail High School in Elk Grove, California. He's the 23rd best running back in the country, a four-star prospect, a guy that Oregon's got good interest in. Um, I, I think Collins and Brown are the two players at the running back position, at least that Oregon will continue to recruit at this time just to keep things in line. Should something happen? Collins name is super intriguing for a variety of reasons. And you ran through the, the basic one, which is that Oregon just as a state typically doesn't have skill position players that are as dynamic and exciting as he is. I remember at the uh, Saturday night live camp, this past summer, uh, they had a bunch of pretty highly regarded running backs there, and I thought Collins was, he stacked up pretty well with all of them. Uh, he was just extremely impressive, especially in open space in terms of, it, people had a hard time corralling him and, and even get, making contact with him sometimes. So, um, that's a name that's really intriguing, and, and I would think if, if Seven McGee, if that does play out, and you have Seven McGee and Demir Collins on the same roster, those are two of the quicker, more shifty running backs that Oregon have had here. Um, in a number of years, I'm not saying they're more shifty or quick than DeAnthony Thomas or Michael James, but basically going back, it would probably have to go back to those type of players to have, um, a, a duo with that type of, I think, change of direction and acceleration. So I think those would be, that would be an interesting and exciting, um, combination. And it, it is weird that there's some, I guess, red tape to clear regarding Collins, but, um, as Matt said, it sounds like there's some optimism about that coming together. Now, at receiver, Eric, what, I mean, looking at Oregon's roster right now, we know that they need to sign receivers in this right. class, but like, I don't, I personally don't think there's that big of a need for Oregon to go out and try and find players that are similar body types to a Josh Elgato, a Micah Pittman, a Jalen Red, because they've got Chris Hudson, because they've got plenty of those guys already on the roster. I, I think they need to go out and find, you know, those taller possession type big play receivers. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you, and I think you look at what – I think you, part of it is you look at the success Oregon has had recently with, like, a Jawan Johnson, and I think the success you're going to see in this upcoming season with Devin Williams and, and maybe Brian Addison will take a big step too. I know I was encouraged by his development, but Oregon hasn't had a ton of those six four six five guys come through the program, and there is a potential, I think, in 2021, if you look at just the, the caliber of athlete and, and the receivers are going after, they could get, get a guy like a Dante Thornton who's 6'5", 185 pounds, and he certainly would fit the bill there. And I'm not saying, and, you know, Oregon's in on some of these top wide receivers, and we're going to run through a couple of names in a second here that are maybe more highly regarded, but I think Thornton would, would make a ton of sense 
to, to, to try to land in terms of fitting that group of, of, of size and athleticism and speed. And, you know, he's been out in Eugene before. We know he's really interested. And I think, unfortunately, the this whole, all the stuff that's going on right now has kind of stopped his ability to get back out to Eugene when he was hoping to be here for the, for the spring game. But I think you have to be encouraged by him. Um, and then there's a couple of other wide receivers that maybe aren't quite as long and rangy that Oregon is in on that are just too talented to, to pass up. And I'll let Matt talk a little bit more about these two, but Emeka Buka and Troy Franklin, a couple of five stars, two of the top three wide receivers nationally, both on the West Coast. Both are six one six two. Um, in body type, but uh, those are two guys that you can't pass on, and, and I'm sure Oregon would love to if it somehow works out to take all three of those receivers I just ran through with Ekbuka, Franklin, and Thornton. But Matt, what do you think the chances are with with that trio? Do you think it could come together where they get one of those, two of those, all three of them? Kind of what's your outlook for those? I, I feel guys? very confident they get one of those three. Uh, I, I feel least confident about Ekbuka just because Ohio State's in a really really good spot there, and then. It's. You know, I also think Washington's in a good spot as well, but Ohio State's the the leader in the clubhouse right now, Fred Buka. But I think, I think they get Troy Franklin, who is the third best receiver in the country. He is basically two spots away from being a five star. He's the 31st best player in the country. Um, Washington is a player there, but I think Oregon is is better suited to land him. He's been on campus at Oregon before. I think there's a good chance that Oregon signs Dante Thornton. Um, like you ran through, he's been on campus a couple times. There's sincere interest from both sides. I mean, that was the first player Joe Moorhead went and yep. saw when he was hired as head coach at Oregon. I mean, he went and saw Dante Thornton before he'd even officially been announced um, by Oregon as the offensive coordinator. He was that important to get Joe Moorhead out on the trail and to see prospects, and that was the first player that he did. So, you know, Moorhead didn't hold a press conference with the media. Hey, I was, I'm hired and here I am. This is, you know, I'm excited to be here. Yada, yada, yada. He got approved by HR, went through compliance, got approved there, and immediately went on the trail to see Dante Thornton. I think that tells you a lot of where Oregon is at in terms of looking at him and where he fits into uh, the picture for Oregon. I think there's a couple other guys that Oregon will try to go after, and a couple of them are from the SEC area. And, you know, this is where the McClendon hire comes into play. And I think the Moorhead hire, like you said on the podcast uh, over the weekend, uh, there's a couple players that I think Oregon's going to try and make a run at. Deion Smith, he's currently committed to LSU out of Mississippi. I think that's a guy that Oregon will at least try and kick the tires around and see if they can get him. Isaiah Brevard is a big play, six foot four type guy. Uh, Moorhead was recruiting him hard when he was at Mississippi State. I think Oregon will continue to to go after him, and they have. And he's got good interest in Oregon because of um, Joe Moorhead. And then another name from Mississippi is Antonio Harmon, another six foot four guy. A guy that Moorhead's been able to, to develop a lot of, uh, interest in and get into with, with Harmon and, and, and that circle. And I think Oregon's in a, a decent spot there. I'm not going to say they're the favorites, but you know, they are one of the players for Harmon. And you know, I think you look at Harmon, you, you look at Brevard and you look at Smith, uh, but more so Brevard and Harmon. Both those guys are six foot four, yeah. very similar body types to Dante Thornton and, and, and Troy Franklin. Yeah, I think you have to be excited about the 
the potential there. And I think a lot of this is going to come down to what McClendon can provide and, and kind of what that recruiting pitch looks like and how does that change with, with new staff additions. Let's look at tight end, Matt. Um, I think the obvious target is Brock Bowers. Um, he's the third-ranked you know, tight end recruit nationally, West Coast kid out of Napa. Is he the kind of primary target, do you think? And if it's not him, who else is kind of up there that people should know about? I think Brock Bowers is certainly one of – I think they've got a couple guys all right around the same area. Um, I look at Brock Bowers. He's the third-best player in the – country at that position. Terrence Ferguson is another guy that Oregon's extremely high on. He's a four-star. He's 12th uh, best at that position group. Um, there's also, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name correctly, Maliki Motabao out of Liberty High School in Henderson, Nevada. He's the fourth best tight end, and he's been on campus at Oregon. He was here for their junior day. And so, you know, they've got about three or four guys Landon King is a guy that they recently offered um, out of Texas. And then, you know, Carson Coda from the, the youngest Coda brother, uh, son of Chad Coda, the, the former Oregon Duck. He plays at South Medford. He has a scholarship offer from Oregon. But I think Carson probably is one of those guys that really needed to have the spring-summer circuit to get out and, and showcase what he could do against the elite players and then come to Oregon's football camp and work in front of the coaches and and then have a strong senior season and to to be able to commit to the Ducks. And, you know, maybe, maybe he gets his chance through, you know, late summer football camps and, and then a fall football uh, as a senior, you know, actual football. Maybe that translates over. But I, I have a hard time right now – thinking Oregon would take Coda today. But they've got four or five guys. I think Bowers, Matabo, uh, Ferguson are probably the three guys that stand out the most as most likely. And they, they're probably going to take one. And, you know, Bowers recently put Oregon in his top eight. So they're in a really good spot with, with Bowers. And, look, when, if that guy wants to come to Oregon and you've already got a Ferguson, you probably try and find a way to take two. Yeah, I was going to ask you if, if there's a possibility, and I think you look at the body type there, it's a little different between Bowers at 6'3", 225, this is what he's listed at, and then you talked about, um, again, I'm Busher, his last name too, but Mataveo at 6'6", 240, and then Ferguson at 6'5", 220. Those are a little bit bigger sized, a little bigger bodied players. Um, maybe you can find a, a scenario where you feel pretty comfortable that, hey, we're going to take uh, a Bowers who's a little bit more athletic, maybe better as a pass receiver, and then we're going to take one of these bigger-bodied guys that can maybe be a complementary blocker uh, and develop possibly into um, a, a good wide receiver at tight end as well. So I think there's there's potential maybe to pair them together if you get the right combination. But I think as Matt said, maybe maybe that requires you landing a Bowers to, to kind of feel comfortable yeah. doing that. Uh, offensive line, we've we talked about there being some top-tier prospects and how this could impact some stuff here, but uh, it's not, not unlike previous years where Oregon is kind of swinging for the fences here on the offensive line. Is it realistic that we could see or Oregon land a top 100 recruit here in Kingsley, uh, Sua Matea, or, or kind of what are your expectations for the offensive line group in terms of what they're looking at? Yeah, Kingsley, Sua Matea is the top target along the offensive line. Oregon's told him that. He's aware of that multiple times. He's been on campus a ton. He is very close with the Sewell family. He's high school teammates with Noah Sewell. Um, but 
looks up to Panay basically as his older brother and uh, a mentorish type of a deal. Oregon is the runaway favorite here for Kingsley. So I think does Oregon sign a top 100 player along the offensive line? Yes. And to the point, I would almost argue that Oregon probably signs, I think, two. Because Kingsley is 64th in the country. He's the ninth best offensive tackle. He's the best tackle out west, and or at least in the west footprint. Everybody else is Texas, back east, Midwest. Um, I think they they're in a position to sign two, the two best offensive tackles in the Pac-12 West Coast footprint. Kingsley Suamatia being the first, Bram Walden of Seguero High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, being the other. He is the 14th best offensive tackle in the country, the 87th best player overall. Oregon is probably the leader for Bram as well as the leader for Kingsley. And I feel very strong that Oregon gets Kingsley. They're the crystal ball leader, although it's one person, but it's a big one. It's Blair Anguillo of 24-7 Sports, our Mountain West um, regional recruiting guy. Uh, he has pegged Oregon to be the school that Bram goes to. I, I think Oregon's in a good spot for Bram. And then you've got a couple other guys that are four-star players and Jonah Miller. And then you've also got uh, Teolai Savia out of Desert Pines in Las Vegas. Both those guys aren't top 100 recruits, but they're four-star offensive linemen, four-star offensive tackles. I think Oregon is in a position where they're going to get two top 100 guys, maybe a third four-star along the offensive line if they choose to take that third tackle. You, uh, let's look at a couple of interior guys, but I want to start by asking Josh Simmons. We, we've mentioned him on the podcast already. He verbaled. I just looked it up it early, very end of January. He verbaled, so we got that we're off by a month, but uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he just he decommitted recently. Matt, do you think Oregon will be a player going forward with Simmons? What do you think the chances are the Ducks can get him back, or is that kind of the, one of those things where the ship has sailed from your perspective? I think Josh Simmons lands at USC. To be to be honest, I think that's. Maybe where he goes. I think Oregon will have a chance to get him back. Um, he's high on Georgia. He's, he's high on LSU. The Tigers haven't offered yet though. And, um, I know Oregon likes him. They think he's got good potential. I think, uh, Oregon would take him back if he tried to commit today. I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't see him landing at Oregon. I think he stays, he stays closer to home at USC, but I also think you know, Oregon's in a position where they might surprise some people and, you know, find a guy that, that's pretty talented in Bryce Foster, who's the mm-hmm. fourth best, uh, guard in the country, uh, the 68th best player, regardless of, of class. I mean, he's, Foster probably will, will stay home and play his football in the state of Texas or at Oklahoma, but he continues to list Oregon as a top school and continues to include them as, one of the schools that, you know, makes a big impression. And all it's going to take is Oregon to get Foster up for a game day in the fall. He falls in love with the school and sees that he could, you know, step right in and, and play as a true freshman. Crazier things have happened. I, 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 look, I don't – I'll tell you today, they're, they're not number one. They're probably not number two for Bryce Foster. But as long, the longer they stay in the hunt, and as long as he, he doesn't commit, and if he takes a late visit to Oregon, Oregon's chances will skyrocket. But 
I think I think the, the, the if you tell me today who are they going to sign that's an offensive lineman that plays the interior outside of, of Jackson Light, I would say Oregon signs Elia Miago out of uh, Temecula, California, a three-star offensive guard high on Oregon. I think that's the player that Oregon probably finds. Um, it, if you had to ask me today on April 20th, they sign one guard, who's it going to be? It's, I think it's Elia Miago. Foster, to me, is one of the more exciting prospects in this class. I know that kind of sounds crazy because you're talking about an interior lineman, but he is so physically impressive that, like, I just think the sky is so high there. I mean, he's almost built like a starting collegiate lineman already at six foot five, 330 pounds, and you go watch how he moves and, and the way he moves people around. So, like, yeah, I'm totally on board. If, if Foster's the offensive guard or one of the interior guys they land, that's a huge – that's a huge pickup right there, and you look at what Oregon has right now currently with the depth chart in the interior, and the players they're looking at there are all upperclassmen. you got Amal Asala, who's a junior, a Samputasi, or a TJ Bass, who are a senior or a junior. Um, it could be a situation where if they could land a guy like Foster, um, he might almost enter and have a chance to start as a true freshman, or, or at the very least, by his second or third season. I think that that would be a really interesting addition, and again, Talking about having a top tier offensive line, that's how you do it. You go land these top 100 kids that all the big, blue, all the blue bloods and all the big boys want. So I, I think Foster to me is one of those guys. Talked about a lot of these names, having kind of watched his tape and, and seen him. Uh, that's a guy you definitely want on your team if you can go get him. Yeah, and he, I mean he's a player that you look at Oregon and say they've done a really good job of recruiting in the interior, but he would show up and instantly push all of those guys that are coming back next season for playing time. I mean, it's rare to find interior linemen that are day one capable of, of playing, but Bryce Foster is there. Yeah. Now I will say this, Oregon's done a, a really good job the last couple of seasons along the offensive line. And you look at the guys that they signed this past season TJ Bass is a guard and he's with, he's running with the, the second team during spring ball. Jonathan Dennis is a four-star offensive guard. True freshman too showed up this spring and he was the second string center. So Oregon's got a couple guys with multiple years of eligibility that have entered the program that have already kind of positioned themselves to be in a place where they are potentially going to play a lot in 2020. So I think the this is why you look at the guard position and say they're either going to sign somebody that they know is going to redshirt and they know is going to have a couple years of development and could and, but then could explode has a high ceiling or they shoot for the fences and they go and try and sign you know a, a truly you know five star borderline four star you know top fifty guy in Bryce Foster. Because you you if you miss, hey, you know what? We, we would love to have had Bryce Foster, but our our position group in the interior is pretty loaded, and you know we were only looking for someone that a was going to instantly start no matter who we have coming back, or instantly be a second team guy no matter what, or find a guy that's got a high ceiling but just needs time to develop. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page with you there. Of I think you can get a little selective here. Um, especially on the interior, I think a tackle you probably do need to go 
uh, at least find a couple guys you like. And I think there are, we've talked about the players out there and the likelihood seems to land at least one or two of those top 100 tackles and that's huge. But I think at guard, maybe you can be a little bit more selective given what you have kind of for the long haul. But at the same time, I think you'd like to find one that's good. And again, if Bryce Foster's available, oof. You'd be talking about a really, really special and talented offensive line group for for the foreseeable future, which I think is already in place. But um, the ability to continue just to add to that, uh, I think, is is why Oregon has the potential to really have a high ceiling as a program going forward because the recruiting continues to get better, uh, and you're already seeing that pay dividends on the on the field. Think about this last season with with the impacts that that 2019 class had. So, hopefully, you guys feel more informed while dialed in to the 2021 recruiting class for the Oregon Ducks, kind of where things are are playing there. We'll run through the defensive side in the next couple of podcasts. We've got the mailbag coming up on Wednesday, Friday's podcast. I am going to strongly guess that it'll be focused on where Justin Herbert went in the NFL draft on Thursday and what could transpire over the next two days following that for other players. So we got draft talk. We've got reactions from that. We've also got the mailbag, so keep sending your questions in. But looking like maybe early next week we'll run through the defensive needs for Oregon football and kind of who are some of the main targets for that class in 2021. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.